So welcome everyone to our bonus episode for judges. Uh, what was this, three to five? Yeah. yeah. A lot happened. Oh boy, a lot happened. I'm going to start, <laughs> uh, I guess, at the, be- at the at the end of Judges 5 when we had, well, basically all of Judges 5 was Deborah's song. So we're just going to talk a little bit about Deborah here. Uh, so yeah, there was this poetic song, the song of Deborah, which we all heard. That was a fun time. Um, so it, yes, it's apparently a victory hymn, which I didn't realize. That, that makes sense that, though. Yeah, yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, it's a, a victory hymn about the defeat of Canaanite adversaries by some of the tribes of Israel. This is from the Wikipedia page for Deborah, by the way. So, okay, until recently, biblical scholars generally identified the song as one of the oldest parts of the Bible, dating really? somewhere in the 12th century BC based on its grammar and context. However, wow. some scholars have recently argued that the song's language and content indicate that it was written no earlier than the 7th century BC. So huh, that's interesting. Okay. I guess it's, it's actually maybe not one of the oldest songs of all time. But still quite an old song, though. But yeah, that's interesting well, that it yeah. was a contender for maybe being the oldest song. Huh. Yeah, but now they're like, nah, never mind. So the song itself differs slightly from the events described in Judges 4. The song mentions six participating tribes, Ephraim, Benjamin, Machir, Zebulun, Issachar, and Naphtali, as opposed to the two tribes in Judges 4-6, Naphtali and Zebulun, and does not mention the role of of Jabin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So just, yeah, yeah, a little bit different. A little bit different. Though it is not uncommon to read a victory hymn in the Hebrew Bible, the Song of Deborah stands out as unique in that it is a hymn that celebrates a military victory helped by two women, Deborah and J.L., Michael Coogan, I don't know who you are, but Michael Coogan writes that JL being a woman is further sign that Yahweh ultimately is responsible for the victory. Okay, Michael, Whoa. the mighty Canaanite general Sisera will be sold by the wo- by the Lord into the hand of of a woman. Uh, Judges four nine. I say so. It's essentially like prophesizing, I guess. I don't right, know. Right, because I guess they did predict that. JL being a woman is a further sign that Yahweh ultimately is responsible for the victory. Okay. So, yeah. Anyways, that was mostly it. Yeah, it just kind of talks, the rest of it, like, talks about the chronology, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Dipper is depicted in a church dome in Mexico and in the Nebraska state capitol. Fun. All right. (laughs) Cool. Cool. Well, there it is. We should take a a little field trip to Nebraska and uh, (laughs) get a picture with that. Find some Deborah. All right. Well, (laughs) That was that was it. So yeah, it's a it's a song. It's apparently also showing how great God is because he clearly made this happen or something. I don't know. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I did a little bit more research into this story of Ehud. Ehud. How are we pronouncing his name? I did Ehud. 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 Oh, but yeah. Yeah. Who killed Eglon? Ehud, played by Paul McCartney. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I found a fascinating, um, I, I think a thesis, really, or a study, a, a survey, a academic paper um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> written by a scholar who is kind of delving more into the specific Hebrew words used in this story, the specific, you know, Hebrew version of the story and some fascinating stuff comes to the surface so first of all with Ehud being left-handed at all hence Uh why we cast Mm, Paul McCartney um, he clarifies that the author doesn't straight up 
call him left-handed. Instead, he kind of uses a word that implies that Ehud is left-handed because his right hand doesn't work so good. Oh. Um, Uh, Really? Yes. Okay, Uh, so there's... so there's Okay, okay, hang on. So there is (laughs) this theory... That's (laughs) random. There is the theory that maybe he did have a handicapped right hand or disabled right hand in some way, some injury or something, and so had to be left-handed. And maybe it was a visible injury, so that's why the guards would be like, ah, he can't hold a sword. Oh, okay, yeah. So there's that theory. Now, in the Greek translation, one of the oldest Uh translations of the Bible, they describe him as a man with two right hands, is what they call him. Hmm. And (laughs) there are theories to suggest that maybe that means that he was actually, what do they call that, people, ambidextrous? Ah, yes. Because apparently the Benjamites, which is the tribe that he came from, would be specially trained to fight with both hands and to fight with the left hand. Sometimes even like having your right hand bound behind you so that you had to fight with your left hand when you were training so that you could kind of get the advantage on people because everyone else is coming in right-handed, you know? So this is interesting because it's like... Right-handed is the only thing that matters, apparently. And so if you're going to have a left hand that works just as well as your right hand, it's just called another right hand, (laughs) which I don't love. (laughs) Yeah, that's like really mean to all the left-handed people out there. Well, I mean, we've got it. It's very right-hand ableist. Well, we've got it baked into a lot of other things, like saying you have two left feet. You know, we don't say you have two right feet or two of the same foot. It's specifically the left one that's somehow less good. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, so there's more. So we go okay, on. Okay. Um, you know, we described Eglon as being a, a very fat or a grossly fat man, as uh-huh. the message says. The actual Hebrew word that was used was meaty, uh, meaty, but it was specifically like a word that would be used for an animal rather than a person as well. I see. So that's where like the implication is of meaty, right? Like that's the implication of him being fat and not just like muscly. Is that uh, it's one we okay. use for animals? Is that the idea? Yeah, well, they said it's the same word that was used in describing the fat cows that Joseph had a dream about. Oh. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Wow. So all meaty and stuff. Um, Yeah, how did that one go? I dreamed that in the fields one day there were seven fat cows that were mine. Uh, Something like that. (laughs) What? What is this? What are you talking about? Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Code. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. That was a long time ago. <laughs> All that I remember is Jacob. Yeah, yeah of course. Clearly. That's the only thing that stuck. Yeah. Okay, now it goes on. So uh, it goes in, you know, secrety, secretive, you know, tricks him, kills him. You know, the sword right. goes into his belly, yada, yada, yeah. yada. Yeah. Now there is apparently a line that does specifically say that, you know, then his guts slash maybe dung came Ew. out. Oh. What? Yeah. Dung? I don't like remember he, yes. that from Pooped the story himself? we read. Well, apparently it is in the Hebrew version. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. Cool. Well, okay. Well, this is okay. This is the weird linguistics things. Is that it comes from like a Hebrew line that uses the verb to go out, and some translators have translated that as like, oh, like Ehud like went out. But others are like, no, we think that Eglon was actually the subject of that verb, and we think it's implying to like all his bowels coming out. out. Yikes. That they went out, yes. Wow. Um, so there's that. Now we're gonna keep on going. It's gonna keep on getting I'm more sure intense. We are. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because, because apparently, according to this particular interpretation of the Hebrew text, is that uh, 
they think, the scholar thinks, a number of scholars think actually that the way that Ehud escaped from the room was through the toilet in that room. Where did they get that from? What, is this from other texts that didn't end up in the story that we read? Is that the idea? That reminds me of Slumdog Millionaire. I don't know if you're, and also Train Spotting, both Danny Boyle films. So oh, I think Danny hopping Boyle. Hopping into toilets. Danny Boyle's all about people hopping yes, into toilets. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, huh. Um, well, because I, sorry, this is a very academic paper. And so I'm also kind <laughs> clearly, of to, clearly, I'm also kind of having to interpret it in real time, but they do kind of make the argument that like Ehud locks the doors from the inside and where else would he have gone to, to get out? But they do say that like, they mentioned the particular space that he exits into, which would have been a space that a toilet would have been built above, I guess. Um, and also, if the servants corroborate it with, like, they think that he's going to the toilet, clearly there would have been a toilet in his throne room, in the cool room. In the it's cool so cool. Room. It has yeah. built-in plumbing so and cool. everything. Wow. You know, so, cool. so anyway, so that I just thought that was really interesting. kind of adds a lot more color to an already quite colorful story. Yeah, I guess a lot more sort of sneaky, dirty action. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sneaky, dirty oh, action. Okay. That's going to go on the movie poster for this chapter of <laughs> Sneaky, judges. dirty action. Yeah. Judges. <laughs> kind of gross. <laughs> we'll make <laughs> you want to take a shower as soon as you get home. Meow, 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 meow. That's what I got. What you got, Jace? Yeah, oh, boy. That was, that was interesting. Uh, so I was inspired by our question of will the Bible, will any books in the Bible pass the Bechtel test? And um, this was pretty interesting, yeah. actually. I found a, a number of things. So first of all, just to, to sum it up for any listeners who aren't familiar, which I'm sure most of you are, but the Bechtel test is, uh, I'll give you a little history, actually. It was a test that was created actually as a joke in a comic strip originally. Wow. Um, a joke. <laughs> as a joke. Well, yeah. And so basically the joke is that these two women are trying to decide on a film to go see. And they're like, okay, it has to pass these three rules. You have to have female characters that have names. They mm -hmm. have to have a conversation with each other. And that conversation can't be about a man. That's the, yeah. the original. And there have been some variations of like the conversation has to last longer than 60 seconds or, you know, other requirements. But that's the basic idea. And, you know, the, the joke in the comic strip is that they end up going home and not seeing a movie at the theater because nothing passes the test. Uh, but so it is interesting to me that it's since been used in academic writing and things like that, even though it did start as more of a joke. And that is also something worth keeping in mind when people are like, yeah, but that seems like a very low bar to clear. It's like, yeah, that's it's the It's not. <laughs> well, it, it is a very low bar. And, and the fact that so many things still fail it, that's well, the whole exactly. point, right? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So there are some books that pack, pass the Bechtel test in the Bible. There are four of them. Uh, Only four out of the 75 million <laughs> books in the Bible. Yes, there are four of them. Uh, there's the book of Ruth, which we'll get to soon. Uh, Tobit, which uh, it's the first time uh, I've seen that name. Yeah, uh, the book of Mark and the book of Luke, one. which are both in the New Testament. So it'll be a while before we get to those. In looking this up, though, I did also come across a couple other tests one that I just thought was funny is called the sexy lamp test. Have you heard of this one? 
No. <laughs> this is this is another one of these sort of uh, tongue-in-cheek kind of rules for evaluating uh, representation of women in a work of fiction. And basically, the question is just, uh, could you replace that character with a sexy lamp and your story <laughs> still works? Like oh, if you, like the no. lamp and... What is it? The Christmas story? Oh, yeah. And the Christmas yeah, story. With yeah. the, le- the leg lamp in the high heel. <laughs> uh, right. It's a right. sexy lamp. No, there's so many films that that applies to, though. Oh, mm. for sure. Right. For sure. Exactly. Um, so, like, some examples of movies that fail based on this is things like Breakfast at Tiffany's. She's in the, mm. you know, she's like the the one on all the posters, but the story would progress just the same if she were a lamp that smoked cigarettes. Is, really? is what this this article is talking about yeah i don't know if i agree with that but okay um Jeez. you know other things like superman you know the character of lois lane yeah. could be replaced with a sexy lamp because nothing that she does actually moves the story along uh anyway mm-hmm. i just thought that was interesting but the test that i found uh, the most interesting is called the mako mori test uh and this is one that actually came out of a uh, conversation on tumblr originally that was inspired by the movie uh pacific rim and so in the first Pacific Rim movie, there's a character named Mako Mori. And so that's who this test is named after. And basically, you know, she's this character who in that movie, uh, you know, was very held up as this like awesome, empowered female character. And yet, uh, because, you know, she's in her like military regiment and all the other characters are men, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. And so people being mm. like, well, okay what's the deal? You can have movies that have terrible representation and still pass the Bechdel test. And you can have someone that does, that doesn't pass it. And so they're like, well, what if there's another test? So the one that they came up with, similar to the Bechdel test, and that it's like a very simple requirement. And this one is that there has to be at least one female character, that this character has their own plot arc, and that their arc does not simply exist to support a male character's plot arc. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. it too because it takes into account, uh, you know, movies where there's no dialogue, for example, right? Yeah. So what's interesting is if we take this hmm. Mako Mori test, our story in Judges does pass that one, even if it doesn't pass the Bechtel test. Well, okay. Unless we you want to argue that, that Yahweh is the male that. character that that's Yahweh being supported by I mean, Yahweh is the always the male like, character that everyone's you know, obsessed with. I'd, you know, it, uh, I think that we could get a little bit interpretive with this one. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's true. Um, I did find some other interesting trivia, though, about the Mako Mori and about the Bechtel-Wallace test, as it's officially called. Uh, one of them is that in Pacific Rim, unfortunately, the sequel to the Pacific Rim movie, which is called like Pacific Rim Extra Cool Oceans or something like that. (laughs) Pacific Rim Rim 2, Judgment Day or something. Pacific Rim Uprising, that's what it is. Um, It has evoked some controversy for the fact that it then does not pass the Mako Mori test, which is the whole test that was based off of the first film. So that was a disappointment for fans there that she, you know, she's in the movie again and, or, you know, there's a female character in the movie. She has a plot arc, but it only really serves to further the plot arc of the male characters. So that's a bummer. Um, yeah. Also, uh, some some interesting thing about all of this too is that like these tests are a very low bar, and the example that was given I thought was very interesting is that the movie Cinderella, which portrays women as either being villains or by being these sort of helpless uh, 
protagonists, um, perhaps with the exception of the fairy godmother, maybe being, you could argue she's an empowered character. But anyway, not great representations of women in the movie Cinderella. And yet, Cinderella passes both the Bechtel test and the Makomori test. Uh, So there is kind of this like... Just because it passes those doesn't necessarily right, so it's, yeah, it's mean not it's, a black and white yeah, indicator. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Um, wow. But anyway, so I think that gives us another little tool to put in our tool belt here. But I yeah, would say our story and judges, mm-hmm. at the very least, does pass the sexy lamp test because you could not have it does, replaced yes. either of those women with a sexy <laughs> lamp. <laughs> no, you need them to be in there. They're they're doing some stuff for sure. Yeah. A sexy lamp couldn't have killed that guy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. So I guess it'll be a while before we run into any more female characters again. But then we can see. So sad. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Fun. All right, kids. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>